decaf. I don't drink decaf. Give me caffeine. Make me scream as the brown bean bakes and rotating metal drums. Cappuccino on ice. Latte is nice. Espresso my heart. Squeeze it through steam. Let me sip caffeine. Dripping down, thick and strong. Dripping down, creamed or chocolated. Sprinkled with nutmeg spice. Vanilla would be nice. More vanilla, please. Squeeze it out of my napkin. Cold, but oh, so full of caffeine. Give me a coffee bar in my car. I'll put my odor in. Fill my two-liter cup to the brim. Top of the plop of whipped cream, what a dream. Oh, caffeine. Decaf. I don't drink decaf. Thank you. Everybody, that was Chris Vinoy, and this is a brand new podcast from Puna Press. Say something, anything. I'm Kara Goldfarb, and we are right here in Balboa Park, San Diego, California. Puna Press is a San Diego-based independent poetry press. And thank you for that, Chris. You're welcome. You are actually our very first guest on the podcast, so thanks so much for that. And also for enduring any potential mishaps that we're definitely not going to have during <laughs> our first recording. So we at Puna Press, namely Ted Washington and myself, mm-hmm. are really big caffeine fiends. All so right. your first poem was very fitting and also a bit telling of our question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Okay. How do you take your coffee? <laughs> uh, two creams and two sugars. <laughs> okay. I know Ted and I like our coffee just straight up black. <laughs> yeah. I, I drink it that way sometimes, especially if I don't have cream and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your inspiration for writing that decaf poem then? I was working as, as a barista in a, in a coffee shop, and the owner asked me if I wanted a cup of coffee. He brewed a cup of decaf for the uh, uh, customer, and the customer didn't want it. So he uh, asked me if I wanted some coffee, some decaf coffee. And he said, I said, decaf? I don't drink decaf. <laughs> and he said, write a poem about it. And it was uh, 1994, 93, somewhere around in there. That, that most of the poems I have memorized uh, come from that time. Any particular reason, something going on in your life <laughs> at the time? Well, I, I was getting divorced at the time, and I lost my job at the time. <laughs> and I was just writing because I wanted to write. You know, I just wanted to write, uh, just do nothing but write. <laughs> so I took about two and a half years off and just wrote. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, that's interesting. Do you feel... Like, you need to have experienced some sort of pain or heartbreak in order to write. I know uh, it helps, but hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of a, I mean, there is definitely a bit of a stereotype attached to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, it the, does seem like a lot of poetry stems from those turbulent emotions. Well, the, the girl that started me writing, he, she kept me writing through 40 years of writing. So just by reconnecting with me every once in a while and... She was my first girlfriend, so I wrote I wrote 300 poems to her. Wow. And, and I, I copied them all in the book about 20 years after I wrote the 300 poems for her because she asked me to. And she had, she had some of the poems that I didn't have it, that she had kept. That's amazing. That's and me. I'm guessing all of those aren't sad poems. No. <laughs> Not all of them. <laughs> some of them. Yeah, this is a bit... Uh, strays a bit from that, but I know just from reading and hearing some of your stuff that social issues are a big part of what you speak to, and you're really into the beat movement. I'm wondering why you think poetry specifically, or what poetry does in relation to changing the norms people feel bound to. Well, 
Um, I started out with uh, Walt Whitman and moved on to Carl Sandburg and Edgar Allan Poe. So that, that, that's my background in poetry. When I first started, it was Shakespeare. You can't forget him. And uh, the, the poetry just been coming to me through the years. But uh, what I've been doing with my life is that there's a... Uh, we did Artists on the Cutting Edge out in La Jolla with uh, Quincy Troops reading. And he usually had three poets there and uh, a musician. That was the best show because I, I opened it with Life's Not Easy on the Streets, which was, was one of my um, social poems. And I ended it with Cruise to L.A., which is a poem about uh, day cruise up to L.A. to read at the uh, Watts Action Council committee meeting. Those sort of social poems, I mean, when you read them, do you feel as though you're connecting with the audience in a way that maybe other forms of media can't? Well, I do connect with the audience because I walk out in the audience and I, I confront them with, with the issue. Right. Yeah, you know, one of our aims of this podcast is to sort of expose people to poetry that think maybe it's not really their thing. So I'm wondering what you think the biggest misconception is about poetry. Academic poetry. <laughs> if, I, if I had to sum it up, that, that would be it. Because uh, I go to a lot of open readings, and there's a lot of beautiful poems at, at them. And the ones I go to at the university are usually dry. Uh, usually people who are trying to write poems. So speaking to that, would you say that teaching poetry in an academic setting is a bad thing or it should be... It's a good thing if somebody wants to write poems. <laughs> uh, there's, it, it has its benefits, but I, I think it stifles, stifles uh, creativity a lot. What about a person who isn't interested in poetry at all? Not even someone who takes <laughs> poetry class and then leaves uninterested, but just mm -hmm. they hear the word poetry and they think outdated, boring. <laughs> what can you say to show them that poetry is more than just that academic setting? Uh, poetry in bars really works out really well <laughs> uh, because the people aren't expecting it in bars. Right. Now, uh, what I'd like to do, there's a, the uh, trolley dancers. I, I would love, love to have a group of poets at one of the stops. That might do it next year, I'm not sure. I like that. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you think is important that our listeners should hear in terms of poetry or writing? Uh, go to anything? an open reading at least once a month. And if you need any information about open readings, I got it. So give me a holler. Great. <laughs> and lastly, not to put you on the spot, but uh, we really want to continue this and carry it on. And um, we think talent attracts other talent. So is there any poet that you know of that you think would be a good addition to our show. Michael Ortega and Christopher and Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Sure. And if you want to say any upcoming events you have or talk about your new book that I know you have out. You I got a book called uh, the Strange, A Strange Summer. It has been a strange summer because I got thrown out of my old house because the owner wanted to move her daughter in. So I had to find a new house during the summer. Uh, after 14 years. <laughs> it was very dramatic. Uh, anyway, uh, the book's on sale for $10 on Amazon.com if you want to purchase it. And uh, let me see. 
uh, come out to open readings. That's all. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Chris Vinoy once again, and now Chris will be reading a second poem to close us out. So take something, it away. Something marked me with a poet's scar, like a werewolf bite half healed, moon rising, thoughts dancing in my mind, cravings seeking escape, lips mimicking hands, translating mystic patterns into words, breathing life as they wake in dark shadows, blazing like searchlights in the fog. Come along with me now as this lunar mood passes. I will show you the woods where thoughts grow like mushrooms that spring from the spores of dreams. Once again, I'm Kara Goldfarb. That was Chris Vinoy. If you are a poet or know a poet who should be on Say Something, Anything, hit me with an email at kara at punapress.com. That's K-A-R-A at punapress.com. Thanks so much, and we will see you again soon.